Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. In fact, whenever or wherever you're listening to this, the NI Golf Channel podcast, we're back, me and Emma. And this yeah. week, we're focusing almost entirely on the Ryder Cup. However, as is a way of things with the podcast, we have a quick roundup of some of the news from the golfing world. That we do. And it's nice to have some positive stuff to start with, isn't it, Cher? Um, Tom McKibben cruised through to the second stage of the Corn Ferry Q School in Arizona. He opened up with a brilliant 10 under par 62, ultimately finishing in a tie for seventh. And stage two takes place between the 19th and the 22nd of October. My Golf Ireland have named a 12-player team for the upcoming Under-16 international match against England at Douglas Golf Club from October the 9th to the 10th. So it's a mixed girls and boys together. So you have Adam Chalner, Olivia Costello, Kate Dillon, Fionn Dobbin, Kate Fleming, Hannah Guerin, Darcy Hogg, Marina Joyce Moreno, Sean Keeling, Jack Murphy, Caitlin Shipham, and James Watch. Great to have a mixed one, isn't it? I like that a lot. Um, according to the Irish Examiner, Golf Ireland have been in talks to revive the Irish Women's Open. Oh, do you think they heard the pod, Paul? Do you think they did? I think there's Golf been a clamour. There's been a clamour, Emma, a clamour. <laughs> As always, we're such trendsetters. Golf Ireland CEO Mark Kenley described the absence of the event as a glaring gap in the Irish golfing calendar. There it, you hasn't, go. it hasn't been played since 2012. When did you think people suddenly went, oh, whoops, we might need to do something about that? Like, <laughs> well, mm, I know. I, I suppose you could forgive anybody for not thinking about plugging any gaps in the last what, 18 months or so, but that still gives you a good, what, seven and a half years that we should really have been having the event before yeah. COVID and everything else. So yeah. that, But hey, if it comes back, then we'll just be positive about it, sure. Yeah. Be excellent. Oh, oh whoops. Leona Maguire's an absolute <laughs> superstar. We better have an event for her. Quick for the women. Quick, quick. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Knox Katie Poots has been selected for Great Britain and Ireland's 2021 Junior Vagliano Trophy. Um, team, she's one of six players selected and Poots will play for GBNA against continental Europe in the Netherlands from the 8th to 9th of October. Uh, the 16-year-old was one of the stars of the Ulster team that won the Women's Interprovincial Championships and she also represented Ireland in the girls team this year at the Home Internationals. And of course, we couldn't finish the roundup without mentioning Big Darren, could we? Darren Clark, he collected win number three, no less, on the PGA Tour Champions at the Sanford International. Uh, Clark is now ninth in the Charles Schwab standings with earnings of $1.73 million. Thank you very much. It's not a nice, mm. it's not a nice wee retirement plan, isn't it? Get yourself well, to 50 and then go yep. and, and make a few pounds because you're the youngest and the fittest with the old fellas and clean up. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. And that is why I am allowing my other half to play golf more regularly because he's been playing quite well. And if he can get it, he's got 10 years till he's 50. And that's our retirement plan. So you better work hard. eh? (laughs) (laughs) Does he know this or you just decided to drop that on him? No, it was his idea. Well, it's his excuse for playing more. So uh, he's got okay. five years and we'll, and we'll value it as the, the five-year plan and see he's, how we're getting on. He's going to turn pro. What's his current <laughs> handicap? Um, I think we're around eight at the minute. Yeah, so he, he might have a way to um, go, have to be honest with you. 
I know, I know. If he can just keep up the length, though, I think he'll be all right with the old boys because he's he's no, it's not quite Bryson, but he's 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 played a couple. Of, he's played Clandy Boy recently, and he played um Studley Wood as well. So he's been preempting the uh, the Euro Pro Tour and <laughs> and out driving a lot of them on on tour where they've got to. So I mean. That's when it goes straight. So yeah, it's it's oh, a yeah. it's a pipe dream, but it's nice to have it. Eh? Not bad. Yep. Yeah, you just keep keep mad up, keep mad up. Anyway, <laughs> now to the main event of the week and the main event of the pod, anyway, and that's the uh, mm. the good old Ryder Cup. Now, as you know, Darren Clark, he was the last European Ryder Cup captain to take a team to America, and his 2016 team got an awful hammering as well. They lost mm. 17 11 in Hazeltown. But as, as we know, that scoreline was surpassed at Whistling Straits with yeah. Park Harrington's team ending on the receiving end of a 19-9 hammering. Now, yeah. obviously, there's been a whole lot of conjecture and who did what, what we did wrong, and what we need to do next. And we're going to go through some of that. But really, mm. the question is, Emma, was it Park Harrington's fault? No, in a word. Um, he's obviously well, there's always a massive debrief, isn't there? A way bigger debrief when it's the, when we're the losing team, um, and I think like we we you know I may have queried Poulter, other people queried Poulter for one of his picks, but going into it. But other than that, I mean, what was he meant to do? That would be my argument. I mean, we're all it's you know we're all better at it from our sofa and saying you know certainly in our host household, Rory and Pulp's out again. You serious? And but but what else? We didn't have a solution for the guy though. It wasn't like we're like, well, why aren't you playing X and Y together? Get I me mean, maybe Fleetwood would have been good to play. Start him earlier in the foursomes. There's so many other things, isn't there? But essentially. I think we've just, there's so many other things that came into play, aren't there, which I know we're going to talk about. And I just think it was just, it was the, everything aligned for the Americans and equally everything aligned for doom, as it were, for, for Europe. And I just don't think there's much else. I, I don't see, you know, it's not like Paul McGinley, who's obviously was an incredibly successful captain in every way. It's not like he was suggesting things that he could have done and you know they're good friends, and it's not like he would have picked them apart, obviously for no reason. But but nobody had any answers. Everyone, it was just relentless, wasn't it? In in the sort of destruction, and we just didn't have any answers. Nobody had any answers off the course, and the the players themselves didn't give any answers on the course. So I really, you could criticise, you could nitpick, definitely. We always could, couldn't we? Same with Faldo and Valhalla. Same with Darren. And but but what would any of us done with this team? Because as we're going to go on to talk about, there were so many other things coming into play, which he had no control over at all, which yeah. Yeah, were well, the reason for the demise. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think we need to talk about the lack of form of the European team. Because exactly. exactly. They were shocking. There were so yeah. many of them went into that fight, into those three days, mm. not in form, out of form, struggling with their game, flat, yeah. looked a bit tired. And I don't know oh, whether it was the season long or the fact that the European tour sort of the, the, the denouement, the, the BMW championship was too close to the event itself. Well. But there was it, it, the need to find a way of making sure that when they go away from home, that the team is playing reasonably well. And I think, yeah. I think they're going to have to look at tweaking the selection policy. 
as much as yeah. anything else. And I do think if there was one thing that I would pinpoint Porig maybe did wrong, and the Americans got this right, and the European Solheim team got this very right, they adapted to deal with the coronavirus pandemic. And they said, right, this has messed things up for 18 months or two years. We will give you flexibility. Now, Porig didn't want it. Mm. Porig was offered it and said he only wanted the three picks. And I think yeah. in hindsight, in hindsight, they should have tweaked the selection policy and the process to ensure that the people who were in form coming into that last couple of weeks yeah. were the people that, got, that, that made the team. Instead of what happened was there was people yeah. who had made the team a long time ago. Yeah, that was the issue, and, wasn't and it? And were I'm out of form. Exactly. It was such a long, like it was over the guts of three years, wasn't it really, that you had to sort of play solid within the margins and, and yeah, like you say, not actually have to show any form going into it. Mm-hmm. But equally though, just, you know, if say devil's advocate, say we'd had the same as the Americans, say he'd had six picks. Who are you going with PK? Who was in form that he didn't pick? Who, there wasn't like you look at their you look at their six picks and and the rookies. I mean, there wasn't. We don't have a we don't have a chef a chauffeur. We don't have a chefler. We don't have a Morikawa. We don't. You know, it's not like they were banging the doors down to be picked. Were they for in the first place? So, no, I, I don't I, know I, what I the difference I, it would have made. I understand what you mean, but if you had had a selection policy that focused on that form and waited mm. the form. Over the over the closing, sort of two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, that was better. It was weighted significantly towards the BMW Championship, double points and everything like that. Oh, and, yeah. and that that was daft. That really affected what he was able to do. He had to pick Shane Lowry. He didn't want to pick Shane Lowry, mm. and he ended up having to pick Shane Lowry. So it, that didn't work. Now the other thing is maybe if he had more picks, he could have looked at some of the youngsters. Mm. In hindsight, would Bob McIntyre have done any worse than some of the guys that rocked up? Well, I suppose that's that is that is the point, isn't it? That would, with hindsight, with going into it, I don't think anybody was massively confident. But then we always go into it allegedly as the underdogs, don't we? Which is like just not even really accurate when we're at home anymore, to be honest. I mean, when you saw the team, there's the age difference, there's the world rankings difference. And yes, these things haven't necessarily made such a difference before. But I just, I don't know if it was with like the other things we're going to say, you know, against the depth of the of that US team and, and the crowd in particular. I just, yeah, maybe they might have had a spark of brilliance of Bob McIntyre or, you know, whoever else had, had been there. But it would have, they've been eaten alive, at least the Casey's and the Westwoods and everybody else, at least they're sort of hardened to it and therefore, yeah, probably won't be part of another, you know, that's the other thing. This is kind of the end changing of the guard now, isn't it? No matter what happens, it's going to be for lots of reasons. And you just sort of think, well, at least none of the new guys will already, the same way they were saying about the American team this time, none of our new ones will have been tainted by that defeat and that absolute just hammering on the course and by the US fans and all that stuff. So, I guess in a way, maybe they've been spared that kind of situation <laughs> if they were going to get absolutely hammered. But, it's, um, it's an interesting one that you, that we keep referring to. What were they going to do? There was no way to blood these people. These people 
weren't putting their hand up. And I would say that the problem is that because of the pandemic, mm. they've been held back by 18 months. They haven't had the chance to go and qualify, you know, to qualify over the market, to qualify to play in the US tour. Mm. Some of them have had opportunities that they haven't been able to take up to go and play over there because they had to quarantine and things like that. So that would be yeah. the argument against that. The other thing is that, and it's something that I suppose in all team sports, is that, you know, experience is sometimes overrated. And the European approach seems to be, oh, well, if you go away, you need to make sure that you have a sort of battle-hardened team of professionals mm-hmm. who've been there and done that. Well, you know, with the best respect, Matt Fitzpatrick's a hell of a golfer mm-hmm. and has competed all over the world and won tournaments all over the world. And his Ryder Cup record, shock it. I don't the worries isn't it. much better. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? So you're thinking to yourself yeah. that, okay. you know, form the ability to play in those events isn't necessarily mm-hmm. coming through. And yeah. it's, it's, whereas the American team, I think it was well said by a few of the people afterwards, they looked like a college team. Yeah. They, they had did. the look and feel of a college team of a group of guys who were staying together and knocking and, and knocking about together and were playing for each other. And really, the best thing. Stricker did was stare to the bloody road. So yeah, you have to give him credit. Actually, yeah, you have to give Steve Stricker credit because he had yeah. Brooks and Bryson to deal with. Absolutely, and, and we all and, wondered what was going to happen there. And, didn't we? And he dealt with that a one absolutely perfectly. He was superb at that. Even hugging at the end of the week. Yeah, sure. yeah, and then he he set the thing up so that those guys were able to go ahead and get that sort of college feel and play like that. Whereas, I suppose, the ultimate ambition for the European team, although they never have said that, was to go out on the first day of the foursomes, win three of the matches, and watch the, the Americans tear each other apart. Yep. But that unfortunately didn't happen. So hats off to Stricker. Mm-hmm. I think he got that very right. He got the pairings yeah. very right. And then, yeah. as you keep mentioning, the crowd support, which the Euros did seem to struggle with, which is slightly different from the Solheim Cup team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody, we were all delighted and amazed by the size of the crowds at the Solheim Cup. And yeah, they were obviously very vocal for America, but, well, you know, due respect to Katrina and her team, because as soon as they started winning, then they went quite quiet. Now, I guess we didn't have the chance to even silence anybody. That was the thing they kept, you know, kept saying wherever you're listening to the coverage on the radio or watching it on the sky or wherever, everybody was saying, you know, what they've got to do. They, the only way they can silence them is by, you know, putting their mark down on the course. And they just they had no, no way of doing it. They just didn't. They weren't allowed in. There weren't allowed chance. But the difference, I think, which you'll probably agree, is there's a difference between being very vocally in support of your own team, but the excessive amount of booing on the first tee and cheering when they hit bad shots and stuff. And it's just all a bit petty and a bit unnecessary. And and they shout things as well, you know, very personal things when they walk past. And yeah, okay, you can say it's their job and it's all a bit different at the Ryder Cup and stuff. But And you won't have heard it on the TV, but away Ryder Cups are harsh. Like there'll be agents there, right? Like there will everywhere. And you think how many people there are, how much drink is taken. The agents show themselves and they yell all sorts of, 
horrific things of people, very personal things about their girlfriends, about their mothers, about that, you know, their girlfriends and their wives are standing there and they're saying this stuff as well. It's not, it's not pleasant. It's not just battle cries and get behind your boys from the US crowd. It's way beyond that. And it's not, not a nice thing. Because I don't think you would see the exact levels of emotion you saw from the Europeans if it was that straightforward. Do you know what I mean? Like the 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 gut, the depth of feeling behind the tears amongst so many of them. It's just, it's not like that they would even have got any sympathy from the American crowds that were there. And obviously, Rory's very articulate and heartwarming and very emotive speech at the end of in his interview. When he did get his point, people have been, you know, rightly paying their dues to him for that because it was it was really impassioned, um, and you can see how much it meant to him. But but equally, it, actually, there none of those none of those American cards would have been given him an inch for winning that point, even though they generally would have been cheering for him if he was just playing in a normal PGA event. And conversely, I think Bryson has absolutely like he's like everybody flipping loved him didn't they and you think like weeks before they'd been insulting him and basically wanting him off the course and wanting whoever was against him or getting close to him to beating him to be the winner so it's I don't know I think I think the cards are savage I would say that it's it's um unpleasant yeah is a polite way of putting it I don't know. Have you have you ever had the uh, pleasure in it comes of being it in a way, <laughs> in a way, no, Ryder Cup? No, I haven't. I presume you you're speaking from experience. Yeah, I mean, and even 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 shout at the fans. You know, like we were working there, and we'd be wearing just well our work uniforms, colours, if you like, and we were clearly not dressed in red, white, and blue. And they'd go, we'd go past in a buggy to get from somewhere, and and they'd be hurling abuse at us, effing and blinding, and you know, this and you're just like. What the? What is this all about? You know, it's really intimidating, and we're not even playing. <laughs> you know, we're just fast and buggy. No, not I, I, I can't believe. I can't believe you didn't. You were a intimidated, and b you didn't just stop the buggy and wait into them. Well, you can't really get up enough speed when it's that busy. So. <laughs> <laughs> not like the thought. Uh, I, I could see you hopping off the hopping off the flipping buggy and say, "Hey, boy, do you not know where I'm from?" You know, do you know where you live? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, on the positives, there was some positive yeah. takeaway from from European team. Obviously, John Ram was incredible. Sergio oh. was very good as well. She and Laurie, absolutely wonderful. Excellent. So that's the positives. Was there anything else that you sort of looked at and thought, you know, that's something that we can build on? Um, Victor, I was, I mean, I'm a massive Victor fan anyway, but um, I thought Hovland, I know he didn't come away. He didn't, his scoring record from this Ryder Cup will not, I don't think, reflect the fight in him and the the way that, and, and he'd be one of the examples, I suppose, you know, with my, my saying that if there'd been six Hovlands or equivalents, like, he's the smiliest person in the world, isn't he? And, and even when he's playing badly, there's still the, you know, the resilient smile. And he was clinging on to Tommy Fleetwood for dear life at times. I thought not not with his game, but to walk between those holes, he looked very not himself at all. And I was just like, oh, please smile again, please smile again, because he just didn't look like himself. But I thought he was he was um, exceptional under fire and in the singles as well. You know, he had a really tough match, and 
I was so delighted for him to get the half. He didn't quite get it the way he might have wanted, but it was um yeah, it was that was that was a good one. But um and the uh, fact they didn't they didn't give up the fact that they they probably, you know, they did have this fight in them that maybe we didn't actually see, to be fair, until Sunday. But I think everybody was almost relieved to see the passion come out and the um the worm, like you said, like Laurie was obviously fantastic. You know, Hatton holding that absolute clutch um the day before. There, there were little flashes, but other than Serge and Ram and they're like dominating um I mean their comeback as well because they obviously were down in, in the, their second um on day two weren't they they were actually quite far down against Brooks um and his partner and for them to come back just the fight that's what we need that's what you you have to have isn't it in match play you just you just can't stop until it's the end you've got to keep going and it felt like they really did go for it on Sunday and they came out fighting whereas it felt the other couple of days maybe a little bit like you say a little bit flat in general like yeah but- I want to know actually was there a real effort to sort of be quite calm and be quite level and try mm-hmm. and approach it the way that the Solheim Cup team did and to sort of rein yeah. in their emotions and not sort of let things get carried away and I'd have been a fan. I, I'd have been a fan of that, and said that's a good way to go. However, in on reflection, it 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 sort of seemed to stymie them a bit, and maybe mm. just let them go if they want to get fired up and get stuck in. Let them get fired in and get stuck in. Might have been a yeah. different approach. I'd love to know. Sort of yeah. maybe we will find out later. Was was that a deliberate approach? Deliberate by, by, mm. Yeah, to try and be quite calm and measured. And sort of let your golf do the talking. But then maybe that, know, that did hamstring them. I I wonder as well, because that 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 would sort of also not explain because they were good choices, I thought. But um, but the vice captains as well, like we were looking at particularly on in the the evening of day one, we're thinking this is where they need the team talk. They've got to be picked up for tomorrow, they've got to be whatever the plan was for today. We need a wee bit more oomph and we need where's that going to come from? And you're looking at the the um you know the vice captains and thinking, well, there's Luke Donald, who's they're all excellent, they're all fantastic, you know, representatives of golf, they're they're brilliant in their own right. But the, the calmness, like you're saying, there's Luke Donald, there is J Mac, who's probably the wildest of the lot of them personalities, Robert Carlson, Stenson's obviously very cheeky, but he's very he's you know, they're all quite softly spoken, they're all quite Cam, if I was Keimer as well, who's great crack, but again, he's not like a, there's no Polters, there's no Garcias amongst them, is there? There's no, there's no stirrers, if you like, I didn't think amongst them yeah. who would have been in that back room, because obviously Harrington's very much like that as well, you know, very composed and, and, you know, you don't win three majors in particular without, and particularly in that time frame, he did without a ridiculous amount of composure and ability to focus. And he obviously would have wanted his team to be able to do that particularly with all the chaos around them but yeah I just don't know where the oomph was going to come from if, when they needed it really Looking ahead then um, mm. I think discussions of a US domination are a bit early although it is, yeah. a, it is a hell of a team yeah, a hell of a is. team a lot of you know major champions already very young, yeah. very close however they have to go away and, and do it and they have to go away and do it they do, but also the people that weren't even making that team 
were playing very well. That's the other thing about the depth of that team is the, the team who were playing were exceptional. But then there was like Horschel and Nah, just for instance, who weren't even, you know, they weren't even picked and they were playing really well. <laughs> and even, you know, Horschel match play and the whole thing, you know, it, the sticker was really spoilt for choice. So you feel like there can even be ebb and flow within the current generation of the Americans and they'll still probably have a very strong team, I would say. So for Europe, then, the key thing I would say is if they're not going to panic and throw the baby out of the bathwater, which is fair enough, you mm-hmm. don't, you know, you've had a, yeah. a process yeah. and a way of doing things that has done very well up to now. Why would you just panic and change everything now? Yeah. So I agree with that. But for Europe, they're going to need to be very careful about A, the process, the selection process, but also who the next captain will be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So somebody shrewd, somebody who's got the ear of the players, and I think maybe somebody who is prepared to get stuck in and get fired up. And I think, and I hate to say this because I wouldn't be his biggest fan, but it mo- might be a time for Poulter. It, 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 it seems a bit like that, but then I wonder if they might do a similar to... Katrina Matthew that's what I was thinking if they can find someone who's going to be successful at home and then maybe keep them on for the next (laughs) for the next round as it were and take take them to the US as well because then you've kind of you've just had all the practice you're going to get you'll have still have some of your team successful team and it's your successful team it's not the successful European team it's your own successful team that you had that connection with all that kind of stuff to take on to the the states and and go up against that but obviously we would hopefully have more crowd and all those things and that we've talked about as well actually have a fan in the uh stands would be quite nice but i i don't know i think um, westwood was being sort of touted as it but i don't think he wants i don't think he's ready to do it yet he didn't seem that keen in the interview that i saw he wasn't like oh yeah i'd love to kind of thing but i think it might it might be that time. And also you'd probably still get the spark of Pulse if he's doing it because he obviously cares so much and he'll have played alongside a few of these people. He'll have been part of what's just happened, which is going to really make them want to knuckle down. I think you're talking Luke Donald. Stenson maybe might decide he's not going to play. Um, mm. But you are talking that group of guys who are in that backroom team. And it's unlikely that Martin Keimer will certainly want to play. Stanson mm. might want to play as well. Justin Rose will yep. certainly probably want to play as well. Yeah, G-Max no, said that he'd like to play again one yep. day as well, hasn't he? So. And, and G-Max sort of eyeing up a Durham Manor. But, mm. but remember, we're still talking about guys who are looking to play who are in their 40s. Yeah. And that, that's just, this is the problem. We are still talking about people who are hopefully going to make a Ryder Cup team who are in their mm. 40s. The Americans are talking about Will Zalatoris, who's about 12. Yeah, and DJ being the older, elder yeah. statesman at yeah. 37. So so <laughs> the somewhere over the next two years, the Europeans are going to have to un- get, somehow get some young players through. Now, mm. you know, uh, Migliozzi there, the Italian lads, very good. Victor Perez, who, who looked like he was going to make it and didn't come through. The Highgard. Mm-hmm. The Highgard kids. <laughs> The high guard, yeah, guys. Prince, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, like Alex Noran disappeared right at three, sir. Somehow the process is going to have to be tweaked, 
and adapted to allow yeah. these kids the chance to come through. Because yeah. in the past, you'd have had the Seve Trophy or something like that to blood them. That's and that's the other thing that they're have. saying, isn't it? It would be good to bring, you know, it would be excellent to, to bring that back again because then, yeah, exactly that. You're saying then you get and the and pairings and match play talent and all that is it's just it's so different seeing people that like you were saying earlier in that setup in that circumstance compared to a stroke play event it, it just is europe seems to have a problem bringing players through and keeping them around mm. like you look at chris wood mm. disappeared yeah. played one andy sullivan played one rafa cabrera bello what a player he is can't seem to make it um yeah you know andy sullivan danny willett Chris Wood, those are the players that I'm talking about, who have all yeah. not managed to, as I would say, in horse racing, three and on, and become mm. become regular key parts of that team. So yeah. that's what we need to find. We need to find guys who are going to be, you know, Shane Laurie, uh, Hovland, mm. Ram. Yeah. And unfortunately, that, that, currently that means you're going to have to play in America. So, yeah. That's where the European setup has to change. If if these guys can't get out to America and it's become increasingly difficult, then they have to weigh things more towards Europe. And I could see them looking at weighing things more towards Europe, which would be an interesting one, you know. I would. And I suppose in a way, you know, that's been the argument for a while, isn't it? That when you're having this event, it it should be representing the European tour more than it maybe has of recent times and you know even the fact that Garcia was ha happy in the knowledge pretty much of his pick and didn't come and play the BMW like you know we've, obviously we've long forgiven him that but just you know it's just it's a point isn't it it's just something to to note that you'll be playing for the team representing Europe but you haven't played in the European Tour's flagship event that year it's you know it's it doesn't quite sit right does it it would it would seem but like you say, you know, we need people that are playing, particularly when we're playing this event in America, we need people who have been playing in America and know, what, know what's what in the PGA Tour. So it's very tricky and I'm glad it's not up to me, but I'm sure we'll have given them some great ideas as always. <laughs> and on that note, listen, thanks very much for this Ryder Cup themed episode. Uh, as I said, it's early autumn now, so if you're still golfing, please mm -hmm. keep at it. Yep. Take every chance you can. Get out before the wind. Rain and cold drives us all indoors. Um, yeah, I know. It's not looking good already <laughs> out here anyway. So yeah. we'll be back. In, yeah, we'll be back in a few weeks. Um, things to watch out for now as we get towards the, the, the dog end of the season. <laughs> can Stephanie Meadow retain her playing privileges in the LPGA? Working hard there. But she's just inside the top. Top, top 100-ish needs to get inside there. Um, mm -hmm. Can Jeremy McElroy earn his Challenge Tour card via the Euro Pro Tour? Needs to be in top five. And can the likes of Cormac Sharvin, Niall Kearney and Johnny Caldwell finish the European season strongly and get themselves off to the race to Dubai? So all that and a bit more to come then as we mm. round up 2021. As always, Emma, thanks very much for the chat. Thank you, PK. It's nice to hear and see you. Not that anyone else gets to see you, but I do. So, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll speak to you all again soon. Look after yourself. Bye. Bye. All right, don't touch me. See woo. Shaking that ass. Shaking that ass. Shaking that ass. <laughs>